We are on. Welcome back, Mike. We left off talking about your 33-day trek from west to east to east to west in the other order. And then now I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about, uh, A, your second trip to Maine, but also whatever has been going on, because I know things move so fast that you're probably cooking up some other interesting uh, synchros and things that have been going on since we last talked. So, uh, but yeah, how, how have you been on that note? How have I been? Well, thank you for asking, Mark. I've been doing well and I hope you've been doing well as, uh, as well. That's mm-hmm. a lot of well. Um, so where to, where to begin? Because there's a lot of places to begin with. Um, when we spoke, when you and I spoke, what was this? That may have been like 10 days ago, 14 days ago. I don't even know. That was the first time I had taken all of the various different pieces of that adventure, if you will, and tried to articulate it in some way which made sense. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then I had created a, um, a presentation, a presentation I uploaded on YouTube with pretty much the same name, I think, as, as our recording. And the YouTube presentation, or when I did it that way, I had the luxury of kind of doing a dry run with you. One of the things which I enjoy personally about what you and I do right here is the authenticity of it. It's spontaneous. There's not really like that much planning. So sometimes I work out ideas, which I want to express more formally or uh, maybe more coherently later on. So what I'm getting at is much of what we talked about, um, I've had time to think a little bit more deeply and, and see things maybe a little bit more crisper than I did when we spoke originally. So I would like to maybe touch upon some of those ideas for a bit. And then also, one of the things which was interesting was in our conversation, we brought up Truth or Consequences New Mexico. And I think a day or two after the recording of our show, um, an indirect alignment to the stories which we told um, showed itself, which really probably would have only made sense to me and you or maybe anyone else who has really paying that much close attention to our conversation. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and then lastly, we will then continue on into uh, what happened afterwards or from that arrow circulation mission as um, I then went up to Maine. How does that sound? Right on, cool, yeah. And uh, the synchronicity was, I think, yeah, the the day after I posted our conversation, or maybe the day of, the day after we spoke, and um, that synchronicity was that Bob Barker, host of Truth or Consequences, the game show, which gave its name to the town, um, passed away, which sparked some Mandela theories as 
any uh, you know celebrity who's been around for the past fifty years or or more usually has like a Mandela moment. It seems at their death where people say, "Oh, I remember him dying ten ten years ago," or "I remember him dying twelve months ago." And I heard a couple people mention that with Bob Barker, but uh, but yeah, what what else what else is there on that note? I mean. When it comes to the the synchronicity, it certainly was uh, the timing was odd, or so, <laughs> expect we should expect that at this point. Well, I suppose we should. Um, one of the a theme that showed itself, which showed itself uh, time and time again on the trip, uh, on that journey, and and I went into greater detail on the presentation, which is on YouTube, is this idea of death. I think there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of death, if you will. And so the fact that something so connected to the conversation, our conversation, we spoke probably definitely on truth or consequences, uh, that then a death tied to that indirectly should happen right afterwards makes perfect sense on a certain level, or it's, it's par for the course. Maybe that's a better way of stating it. Um, so just from that to begin with, well, what there's no way anyone would know this except for me. When you and I were having our conversation about truth or consequences, so I think that we may have even brought up the general rhetorical question, like, well, how did it get its name? Um, there was a story that was told to me when I was when I was in New Mexico about where it got its name, and they said Bob Barker lived there. Um, and I didn't think that was accurate, uh, and I did not want to repeat that story because I wasn't certain if it was a truthful story, and I don't think it was. Um, and but the point being is, I had Bob Barker directly in my mind. Now, what is true is that Truth or Consequences was a game show and was a popular game show, I believe, in the 50s. And Bob Barker was the maybe the second host of it. You may have been the host for a handful of years, maybe five or six years as the game show host. And that was before he became better known, or at least better known to later generations as the host of of Price is Right. But nonetheless, like Bob Barker at 22 because of CB and, and, and all of that sort of stuff like was in, in the mind space of our conversation. And then to have him die and then to have like all the Mandela questions come up after we taught, we brought up the idea of truth or consequences uh, in general and New Mexico in specific being um dealing with like confusion and the land of enchantment. Like it just was, it was just, it was just a, a perfect cap. I thought for the conversation, which we had as to the sort of strange energy that was in play, or at least in my awareness during that trip. Yeah. It's, it's a odd place to find yourself. I imagine I've never been out in that part of the world, but I imagine truth or consequences as a, a small population of people. I didn't go to truth or consequences. I was just, I was just using that as it related to, uh, as examples of mystical toponymy, if you recall from our conversation, mm. but 
really what what so so I want to go back to the to the conversation and maybe uh, add a little bit more insight into it after our initial talk, um, just to add to it before we move on to Maine. And I want to bring it. I want to. Um, and the reason I want to, what really got my mind thinking was what the hell is going on? What the hell is going on with this Bob Barker thing? Like it was for me, it was, it was very, very, um, uh, I couldn't get, I couldn't get away from it. So I, so I leaned in a little bit more into what it was that was experienced. And I want to go back to this idea of aero circulation. Okay. Because that was always the, one of the foundational points of what the trip was based upon a Barris and a story waiting to pierce you and carrying the arrow uh, in circular fashion across the land to quote unquote purify it for new things to come. Like that was literally like what, 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 whatever that may mean. Like I'm not saying something magic is happening when by 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 doing that. I'm also not saying something magic isn't happening. But what I am saying is like this was the role which which Christy and I took on. This was the cloak which we which we we put upon ourselves with the arrow which we made, and that was in the back of our minds as we went off on this trip. And so, so I, I was thinking about that a lot and what happened and specifically as it relates to the Bob Barker, the biblical flood that hits, you know, I'm, I'm saying biblical just, uh, as it relates to, to, um, Palm Springs. I'm saying that because the Palm Springs flood occurred 40 days later after being there. And then also the death of Sinead O'Connor and seeing this as this arrow circulation purification. And so, you know, really playing out, like there's, there's certainly you could go and say there's a little bit of, of creative licensing done, like, well, you can interpret it that way or you can interpret it other ways, but, but it's pretty solid. I'm not stretching too hard uh, by saying that this, like what I intended, what the intention was of the trip and then seeing some degree of purification and death and all this stuff happening, like, like, like that seems to be in play. So the question becomes like, well, what exactly is arrow circulation? And Christy and I have spent a lot of time talking about that and we're playful with the word, the phonetic arrows, because on one hand is arrow, A-R-R-O-W-S, and the other one is arrows, E-R-O-S. And... Eros, E-R-O-S, has a little bit more, I think, um, at least substance as it relates to something uh, mystical. And in our definition, or how I'm using Eros right now, it is in the most um, basic sense of, or basic definition meaning vital life force, like life force energy. And the circulation of Eros, whether that being symbolic with an arrow as what was going on with, with a Barris or literally with an arrow or with arrows between two people or just really, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like a sexual exchange, but a life force energy exchange is, is an arrow 
Eros Exchange, but that's what was in play. It was like, this is like really working with life force energy and circulating that about. And where I want to go with this is, is we can understand the, the um, spiritual realm a little bit better by looking at, um, or the, the non-physical realm by looking at the physical realm a little bit. And in a certain way, we can think of the creation of electricity as, um, as another, if you will, expression of Eros circulation. Maybe, you know, convoluted and certainly like not in its purest sense because they're going to meteor it and like all of the, all of the things that are required to it. But, but the arrow, when, when electricity is created, when the, when copper is, is, is coiled or circulated and magnet runs over it and the electrons move, two things happen. Not only is that, that those electrons move and a, an electrical current is created, but simultaneously a magnetic field occurs. A magnetic field occurs. There is um, on that level of reality where you create electricity and that being along the same model of what all aero circulation is, where you have this, this roundabout movement of, of energy, a field happens. And so in looking at what, what occurred by being specific by saying, Hey, we got an arrow and we are circulating it around the, around the land of, of, of North America, we're, we're creating a field. Like if, if it happens on one level of reality on another level of reality, it's going that that truth is going to be, um, in effect as well. And so that magnetic field, you know, and I'm using magnetic with, with quotation marks, you know, something that pulls something in, what is being pulled in, in these arrow circulation, particularly as it related to, to, to the land, it was, it was consciousness driven. You know, that's, that's the nature of our realm. It's consciousness driven. And so our consciousness was driven or focused upon like the, the, the purification aspect. And, 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 you know, we, we, we saw that show itself with the flood in Palm Springs, but we can't, I don't know if I went into this before, but, but looking at the map very closely, um, it was tied in directly with that U2 military industrial complex call out in Joshua Tree National Park because Palm Springs is also on the Joshua Tree National Park, which where the whole U2 call out, which I made and discussed in the previous conversation we had uh, was was um, inspired. And so what seemingly occurred was by, by bringing light, by bringing awareness, by bringing focus on you two being a spy military entertainment complex sort of um, uh, entity, and then the, the response to that being the synchromistic counterpoint of U2, that being Sinead O'Connor dies, um, that was in play, that was magnetized, just as the, the bringing in, in the, the, um, the flood, if you will. And I'm just sharing this as, as 
reflections of what goes on in my mind after like literally witnessing talking about these experiences, like trying to be as open-minded as possible. Like I'm not saying this definitely happened, but it definitely happened. And so looking at the nature of our reality and seeing patterns of how it works. So that was the first thing which I really wanted to share with you in our follow-up conversation today. Yeah. I love the idea of as you're on this journey, you're creating this wide, uh, magnetic field what brought you brought to mind when you were saying that was my recent conversation with joe roop about uh, out of the body experiences and astral travel something that he has some uh, practice with he's successfully gone out of the body at will and i asked him you know um you know are there certain places on the earth where you know this sort of thing is easier to engage with or this sort of practice is easier to accomplish and as you were speaking what brought came to mind was like i wonder how easy it would be for you now that you've circulated the arrow to uh perform that same journey but with your astral body like maybe like leave your your body and I don't know if this is your cup of tea. I've never heard you talk about going out of body, but, uh, you know, how easy would that be for you to, to circulate your astral arrow along that journey, so to speak? Um, one, that's, an, that, that's, uh, uh, it's an interesting idea. Um, two, that's really going to go and, um, hit upon what I wanted to discuss when we get to the main part of our conversation, main being, um, I guess that's a double entendre, the, the main purpose and the main the state. But, but three, I'll tell you about my thoughts as it relates to out of body and, and astral travel or remote viewing, all these sort of different sort of things. Um, there was a point in my life where uh, I was experimenting with, all things metaphysical. Like, you know, like, oh, well, there's a, there's a course, there's a class, there's this, there's a group I can join. You know, I was like, let me, let me jump into it. And I, I had quite a few books on astral travel and I would play around with it a lot. And I want to say this is probably my, my, my oldest son was, was, uh, probably one years old. So, um, about 17 years ago and we had friends, we had friends, um, who had a, a child that was born probably a month, a month later than, than my oldest son. So that's how I know what the time frame is. And we lived right around the corner from one another. And I remember one night very, very clearly, maybe they would have, it could have been like a two year, two years, two year old, not three, not one year old, but I would go and I would do my astral traveling every night. And how I used to do is I would, um, I would utilizing my, my, my mind's eye or my astral body or how, whatever words you want to go and use. Um, I would sit up from the bed. I was physically lying down and walk down the steps and walk down the street, in my neighborhood. And I would go and visit my friends. And <laughs> it sounds freaking creepy. You know, <laughs> 
But I went into I went in to go check their 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 child, the same age as is 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 my oldest son, because we were if you'll know this if you have children. When your children are young and you have friends who have children the same age, like particularly when they're like one or two years old, like your lives are really intertwined because you're like you like they're the only people who really get it what it's like to have like a two year old or what and I went into their their son's room. So the next day, and, and whenever I would do like astral travel and stuff like that, it always felt like the question I would always hold myself, I would hold to myself. I'm like, am I just like, am I just making this up? You know, am I just making this up or is something really happening? Um, the next day I go and I see my friends, like the, the parents of the child. And for whatever reason, they start telling the story about how their, um, their, their child who was, who I went to go visit stood up at the crib or, or whatever it was. And I don't remember if they, if he said my name, that's what I'm thinking. It might've been two years old or just like something unusual happened that, that they indicated that something happened in that room that night. I didn't tell him what I was doing. I was telling him I was being all creepy, like going around the neighborhood. But I was like, shit, because if anyone's going to be able to see it, it's going to be a two year old, right? It's going to be a child who's still like, uh, behind the veil is what they would they they um, would sometimes call it. So that was that was probably the last time I really ex- experimented, or, or when I was really um, uh, um, consistent about my experimentation with astral travel and stuff like that. I typically don't do anything like that, um, but yeah, I do have some experience. That's for certain. Huh, wow, that's interesting. So, yeah, it's funny. That's kind of like uh, like the kid, I don't know, maybe saw you and got freaked out. Is that what you're you're thinking? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> Jeez, that's funny. Yeah, Joe, Joe had some similar stories where, you know, um, he sort of like pranked his son. His son was much older than the age of... Uh, too, but yeah, <laughs> he did similar things. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm glad I, I randomly brought that up. But I do remember in our last conversation we spoke about the synchronicity with the map and the artist or sculptor rather who was speaking about something that you just happened to have in your backpack uh, while he was speaking about you know, what related to the John Smith map, right? So, um, but I still, maybe you told me, but I'm not quite sure. What motivated you to go to Maine after, you know, this 33-day journey? I mean, that seems like after that, you'd want to take a break from traveling. Uh, It was, um, it was something which Christy had had planned previously like an event she went to in blue hill maine which is a coastal town um in maine and so we went there for that it was like a a gathering of musicians awesome so, so that was that was um and 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 i'm i'm pausing right now because i'm thinking that i want to i want to finish up the 33 days before we move on, on to Maine and think if there's anything else 
which I wanted to, to say about that. I, want, I, I guess what, what I'm going with that is uh, a recognition of how, how real or actual, you know, this, this stuff is that we're doing. Like um, you and I, or at, or at least I try to, when we have these conversations, I try to be as balanced as possible. Um, and what I mean by that is, is like, you know, is, is, is this, is this bullshit? You know, is this really happening? Is this just like, you know, is this, um, what's real? What's just like, you know, like, uh, make believe stuff in your own head. Like, that's what I mean by, by, by being balanced and seeing things deeper and deeper, um, lining up so spot on that, that I, I can rest with greater and greater assurance that something very, very tangible, albeit, you know, murky in terms of like being able to see it clearly, like something is happening. Um, when I pulled together the slides for that presentation, I pulled together a bunch of slides as it related to um, Southland Tales. I talked a lot about Southland Tales um, when you and I spoke and the experience I had on, on um, Santa Monica Pier. And in the, it's been a while since I've seen that film, so it wasn't fresh in my mind what all of the details were. And I pulled some, some articles which talked about the, the film so I can make reference to them in the presentation. And in that, in the article which I found, like the language which they use, it, it, it referred to the climax of the film being called the 4th of July event, which is I was there on the 4th of July at the location where in this movie, where the 4th of July event occurs in the Santa Monica pier, um, on the Santa Monica pier. But what the article then refers to it, or I don't know if they use this. I'm pretty certain they probably did though in the movie is they called it a tear in the time space continuum occurred. What? Yeah, so that's what happened in in Southland Tales. At the 4th of July event, a tear in the time and space continuum occurs, which is then described in the article where the, um, the line between reality and fiction blur. That's how it's described. And I'm like, that is exactly, like that is a very, very accurate and fair way to describe the things which we are, which you and I are discussing here. Like these, like what is this line between reality and fiction? Like it's, it's blurred. Blurred is probably the best way to describe it. And it forced me to, to like, you know, you know, what does time space continuum even mean? Right? Like that's just like a, like it's a, it's an abstract concept which has been fed to us, us being people who are living in this, in this paradigm. But like, what exactly is the time-space continuum? Um, what comes what, after thinking about this for a little bit? What another, I, what I think is describing the same things as the time-space continuum is what 
John D. in Enochian Magic describes as um, uh, our world being protected by uh, what he called the four watchtowers. And what the watchtowers were doing in, in, in Enochian Magic language is is like it protected whatever this realm is. I'm not claiming to know what this realm is, but they're saying that this realm is different than something for than, than another realm, that there is a barrier, whether you want to call that the firmament, which they talk about in the Bible or other esoteric texts, or you want to call it, um, uh, as I said, like, you know, the watchtower. But I'm going to say the time-space continuum is a description of that barrier. And it's the same thing which CERN is supposedly ripping holes with it. And so as it's described relative to at least this Hollywood movie called Southland Tales, like, that happens. Like, is that, or is that happening? Is that, was there a rip? Was there just like this self-referencing of just like purely through consciousness of looking for patterns, seeing patterns, recognizing oneself within the stories? I'm going to say within, within our, underneath our firmament, within the confines of our time-space continuum, like it's all self-referencing. And the majority of our self-references, at least in modern times, come from the stories of Hollywood and by looking at it oh, back and forth and back and forth and, and having some degree of clarity and then this, this arrow circulation and like, like I'm going to mix water, like some weird ass shit happens. And that's what I'm suggesting is like at play. And so what's funny is like I, what may have began as experimentation as, as, traveling outside of the body some 15 years ago, what I described like 10 and 10 minutes ago in our conversation um, has at least for me graduated into like another layer of this traveling about and having impacts and, and effects. Hmm. Hmm. It's the synchromystic sauntering. But the Bob Barker, and I'm going to go as far as like the Bob Barker is is an example. Like this is just like if I was listening to this, because I'm always trying to go and count what count whatever I would hear from like. Well, let's be realistic. Like, okay, this is just some dude telling me some story. Um, maybe it's accurate. Maybe it's not. Maybe the guy remembers it correctly. Maybe he doesn't. Um, you and I, like we we felt it. We we experienced the Bob Barker connection. You and I did. We talked about it, truth or consequences. And then the next day after you posted it, like that came into fruition. Um, I had a conversation yesterday. Uh, when, when Christy and I were, were returning home, we stayed the night in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's uh, someone who I have met through, Susquehanna Alchemy and he put us up for the night. And maybe about a week after we returned, maybe like it was around the whole time of being in Maine, maybe I, I don't remember exactly the same date. Um, I got a very, very strange, like gibberish filled text from him. And he said, Hey, just disregard that text. I don't know what happened. So we had a conversation yesterday where he explained to me what happened. 
Um, and I re-looked at the, at the, the text and the gibberish wasn't just random gibberish. Like, like it was just like a string of like odd words and, um, and just some letters, but they were like, some of the words that were in there were McVeigh, Mc, Mc, uh, McCain, CNBC, BBC, um, MSNBC, uh, Xbox. That was all in there. And what, what he came and he told me was, uh, he was walking through what he had ascertained to be a place in Lexington, Kentucky, where, uh, he would describe that the veil is thin. So going back to your point of the question or the comment, which you brought up a little while ago of, are there places where the, the veil is thinner, where you can go and, and astral project with greater ease. This would be a place where this guy said, uh, where he senses that there's something, um, an abnormal uh, piece of the atmosphere occurs there. And he said he dropped his phone. And when he dropped his phone, that, and it cracked, the, 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 um, the screen cracked. And then those letters appeared in a text to me and it sent it to me automatically. No one else. He and I don't text that frequently, so it's not like we have a deep texting relationship. And so I'm beginning to wonder now, you know, in light of what, what, what you and I are discussing about in terms of like ripping through barriers, barriers, these invisible barriers, the, whether we call it time-space continuum barriers or something else, like something that happened between, uh, that passed through between he and I, um, from where he was standing. I, and I want to just go ahead. I just want to add this one last thing about what makes Lexington, Kentucky. So interesting. Lexington, Kentucky is a home is where you find, um, uh, UK, the university of Kentucky which is possibly best known for their basketball program. But like in that part of the world, like UK uh, is huge university of Kentucky. It's known as UK. That part of the world, Lexington, Kentucky is also immensely significant to the UK United Kingdom, primarily the upper crust. Like it is thoroughbred horse country. It's where Queen Elizabeth comes when she comes to, to, to the United States. So there is a UK, UK, like double entendre connection. And what was, what, what, what I was seeing or sensing there was like, there was a bleed through in that like encrypted, uh, uh, mind control shit with Tavistock sort of thing, which is undoubtedly part of this realm, which holds, which is part of what's holding this realm in place. Um, there was a bleed through and a cut through to that as well. Yeah, I would call that like a first degree telekinetic attack. What happened to your phone? Not my phone, his phone. Sorry, his phone. But it sent me a text. That's what I mean. Like they, whatever it was, it was like psychically attacking the phone to get that message to you like it was like it sensed you through the phone and was like burp, hit like an information signal at the the phone that caused it to like fall out of his hand and break whatever it was it was <laughs> right? 
it was it was strange, and particularly like the names. I'll send you a screenshot of what of of what was sent, but it's like McCain and McVeigh. You know who those, both of those names are highly, highly um charged. Are charged. Yeah. My my personal favorite McCain, I don't know if you remember oh no, this, this uh, I don't know if you remember this. You remember? Do you know who? Uh, do you recall Sarah Palin? Of course, yeah. She's the governor of Alaska. She ran for president alongside of um, someone against uh, George Bush, right? McCain, right? Or not Bush yeah. against Obama? Yeah, it was McCain. Right. <laughs> a famous. There's a famous picture. Maybe it's it was completely doctored. I don't know, but it was. It showed Palin coming off of off of the stage after a big rally, and she is being um, uh, uh, quote unquote escorted like it um, by Cindy McCain. You know Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife, who's supposedly John McCain's handler, and she's got this like Men in Black memory eraser thing in her hand. Like it looks like it could be completely doctored, but I always thought that was a. Mm. a, a very funny and tell and potentially p- telling um, image because it certainly looks like it by all appearances that uh, Palin was some sort of uh, MK Ultra um, uh, beta sex kitten um, politician sort of uh, character in the grand play that is put in front of everyone. She also, I mean, I just kind of thought of this now, but she also kind of was a precursor to Trump in a lot of ways, like the way she um, kind of used the platform she had to get the attention she did, you know, speaking to the so-called populace, you know, with the, like that feigning blue collar kind of rhetoric. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, saying that was uh they that they invented that there but palin definitely seems to me like a a precursor to trump in some ways uh yeah that's a that's a fair observation certainly it's a fair observation um so so yeah so so i i guess i want to wrapping up all of that 33 day journey is like as I've had more time to, to digest it, um, and a lot of, as I said, the digestion occurs by talking about it and seeing these things from a little bit more distance and, and trying to be as, as fair and balanced, but then also as, like, as deep as I possibly can. Like, something, something really, uh, um, a couple layers deeper than the typical layer of reality was invoked or experienced by that trip. And, um, and it is measurable as much as stuff like this can be measurable. And it's measured by looking at, at how reality responds and in synchronicities and in, in all of those sort of things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a few synchronicities that I experienced just now, <laughs> you mentioned Enoch and I said on my podcast yesterday that I'm going to be reading 
the secrets of Enoch from the forgotten books of Eden um, on the bonus side of the podcast for supporters only. Um, but also with the scene, you ran into this game creator, um, gaming engineer, or maybe has a different title, but he's in the business of games. And I mean, the scene is sort of like a get out there kind of thing. Like, a it could very well inspire people to go on their own road trips. And it has, we've spoken to some of those people on this podcast, Austin, shout out to you and your wife. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a 33 day trip is a lot more intensive than what I kind of set out with the scene for people. It's more of like a weekend kind of thing, but, um, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting synchronicity. You hit me up out of the blue and we're like, hey, can I send this to this guy? And I was like, why? What's going on? So, all right, well, uh, you you want me to go and, and, and fill in the whole details of that? Because you're right. It is, uh, um, nothing has really become of that right now. And so, like, part of me is like, do I want to bring that up? But it was certainly a, uh, there, there's a lot of, potentiality as it relates to um the scene um that game that that are in the mix right now so maybe not maybe not the details and all that because i i agree nothing's really occurred yet so let's not put that out there just yet but um but no i just thought that was kind of like part of the part of the um philosophy you know is to just well, personally, I'm inspired to incorporate the circulating the arrow into the scene somehow. So this is, I'll say this. So when we were in Sedona, uh, we went to this place. Um, it's called the Chocolate Tree. For anyone who's familiar with Sedona, I'm pretty certain that's what it's called, the Chocolate Tree. And it was kind of a restaurant, kind of a chocolatier. Um, I think it was a gift shop there. But what was best about it was it was this really beautiful space, a variety of spaces, like there was indoor and outdoor space where people can just kind of hang out, like kind of like a coffee shop, but, but even more so. And we went there with the starboard and we're like, let's see what happens. And we set up the starboard and uh, some friends of ours did show up. Like we were going to meet them there. That was like kind of planned, but we didn't know what else was going to happen. And Christy went to the bathroom and somehow um, while she was there, she struck up a conversation with this guy. This guy's probably, I don't know, like in the sixties. And he comes and he comes over and it turns out that one, he was a, uh, a, a, uh, professor of psychology focused in Jungian psychology at um, uh, one of the Arizona State universities. I don't know if it was Arizona State, but, but, um, but he also was the creator of a game, um, a game which is um, uh, well-established enough that there's like annual conferences. And I think he partnered with Stan Lee, the, the, um, comic book guy for an, an iteration of the game. And so I think it was called like something about champions of the galaxy. That may have been what it's about. So, 
so he comes over and we give him a starboard ceremony, sort of um, spontaneous. He told us his birthday. We had an ephemeris with us so we could pull up all the information. We built the starboard. And he goes and he tells us this story about how uh, he was about, today was day one of this 30-day transformative um, uh, cycle he was taking as it deals with his own ascension, something like that. Um, I don't remember his exact language, but this coming from like, like a guy who's got a, a PhD in Jungian psychology. Like it was, it was definitely like grounded in a high level of understanding of the inner world, but then also like a very, very, um, healthy dose of like the mystery of being alive and the timing of us, um, the timing of all of us coming together was, was just perfect. And then our conversation like continued after we left Sedona, we shared some emails and continued our correspondence. Um, and he and I were talking about just game creation in general. And he said to me, he's like, I've always had this, this desire to wanting to create a game that had to do more with the interconnectedness of life and, and, and singularity. I, I use this, that word singularity when I described this, the conversation to you, Mark. And, and uh, I guess I was confusing. It was confusing to you because you assumed that, and rightfully so, that I was talking about the technological similar singularity, but I don't think that's what he meant. He was just referring to the singularity of all of life. Um, but anyway, uh, and he and I were talking about game creation and the fact of the matter is like, you already created a game like that. And that's what in many ways I think the scene is, is a way for human beings to become, uh, how to, how to bring in the mystery of life into their daily basis or their, their daily experience in a fun, playful way. Like, you know, well, that game has already been created. So I shared that with them. That's what I, I was like, Hey Mark, can I share this game with this guy? Cause I think he'd really appreciate what you've done. Yeah. And I mean, it's, <clears throat> I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this cause it's something I've been thinking a lot about since. And uh, it's kind of a multi-layered synchronicity given he's worked with Stan Lee because I've, in the past few months, I made the decision like, you know, I don't read as much as I'd like to. And when I do read, I get distracted. And I'm a good reader. Like, I could read when I'm focused on stuff. But I thought to myself, well, maybe there's a way uh, to justify reading comic books where I'm, like, actually uh, <laughs> getting something of value out of it aside from the obvious and i've noticed my retention my read reading speed and all those things have gone up since i started reading comic books specifically marvel stuff which stanley is uh responsible for so yeah that's kind of a minor synchronicity but i, I one of the things i want to just bring up about the scene is really it's like thinking about a map of wherever you are as a board game and you roll the dice and as you're moving through the board, you find things that, you know, you would maybe otherwise not find that you're sort of gravitated to or magnetically pulled to through this sort of extension of consciousness, right? Like the map is not the territory, but it's this tool that can help you find 
the actual from the from the literal, you know. And I think a lot of people are really stuck in the the literal world of the media and text and all the things we interface with. That like getting into the actual world can be, I don't know, it could be a lot of fun when you turn it into a game and it doesn't just happen by accident, you know. Uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and um, and I would suggest that's what that whole the 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 thirty three day pilgrimage is like. Um, the same concept in play, right. and maybe maybe at a um uh no, I'm not trying to. I don't want to say at a more complex level, but. But, but it kind of is a 33 day commitment. And like, you know, the, the, there, there was a lot, there was a lot into it, but, but like undoubtedly more complex for sure. It's not a, what what I'm trying to do is avoid the idea of competition or like comparison better understand, but not comparison in order to say that one is better than the other. And, um, and so ultimately going to, um, like why it is that we have these conversations to begin with and probably why you created scene to begin with is, um, if this really is poking holes through what's called the time space continuum, which I'm also going to suggest is like the barrier, which holds all of this paradigm in place. Like as more people tear those holes in a playful, fun way, like, what does that do? What does that open us up to in terms of reality, in terms of, like, moving out of the pay-to-play mindset or, or world or paradox? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this scene can do that for people. I mean, it was definitely inspired by something uh, that already exists, Rando Knots, which... Uh, you know, requires a downloading an app and using your phone. But we've talked about that in the past. So let's get into Maine. I mean, you did have a sort of uh, colorful experience. I mean, we don't have, I'm sure we don't have that much more time to talk here. So what do you think about uh, your trip to Maine? Uh, We already kind of got into the situation with the map, but maybe we can talk about the artists themselves and what they create. Cause that in itself is totally <laughs> a big synchronicity considering all of your research. Uh, yes. Um, but I'm going to want to go somewhere else. You don't even know where we go. Take there's somewhere else. <laughs> Take it away. And I think we got, I think we're going to be good in time because I was supposed to go to, um, one of my son's soccer games and that was supposed to start in 30 minutes. And I'm sitting outside of the, the, the stadium where they play, and a storm is rolling in. Like, of I haven't seen a storm, a storm like this for a while. So, um, my guess is the game's going to be canceled. So, I, uh, um, we might hear a lot of the rain, uh, but uh, as I'm sitting here in my truck, but my view of the lightning is fantastic. I mean, we should have time. So, anyway, so cool. this is what I, I'm sorry. I said, oh, cool. Yeah. 
So arrow circulation. So it starts as an idea. Um, we're in a consciousness driven reality. Consciousness is like, what are your intention? What are you thinking about? What do you think is going to happen? We're in a self-fulfilling prophecy realm. Like, you know, that that's the nature of the realm. So, uh, the, the arrow circulation really began. Well, let me even take a step back. I have driven more in a car this past year than I probably have, uh, well, definitely in any one year period of my life, but, but like, uh, this is by far, I've never been done car sort of travel like this ever before. Um, three trips driven down to, to Florida and that was fall, uh, fall and winter of last year. And then the cross country trip going to California, all of this originating from Pennsylvania, which is, uh, in the middle of the East coast for people who don't know what Pennsylvania is. And then the return after that was a trip up to Maine. And your question was like, why are you going to go to Maine after that 33 day trip? And, and to be quite honest, I didn't want to go to Maine. I didn't like, but part of me, like when this was being planned out, when I saw like, this is what the schedule is going to be. I'm like, wow. Like, I think after four days home from 33 days on the road, like the last thing I want to do is another 14 day trip. But I was able to recognize, like, this is, this has been this arrow circulation thing, like all originating from, from the holy experiment, if we want to call Pennsylvania that, of, 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 um, and it went down to like as far south as Key West, the southernmost point of the eastern seaboard of the United States. And we went west all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And then so now it would make sense to go as far north. Like that's you know, not a full circle, but you can you can see where it's going, like with the circulation. So I'm like, okay, this this makes sense. I'm gonna go to Maine. But the real reason to go there wasn't I wasn't super excited for the real purpose. Um, it was a song camp. It was a Waldorf song camp. It was me and a bunch of song campers. <laughs> um, and so we go there. And it turned out to be... Um, it turned out to be like a... Um, as I'm describing all of these... these like the, the trip out west and like, you know, Sinead O'Connor this and the that, um, at least in my conversation with you, uh, I don't think I go into the element of the trip that it's still immensely personal. It's still immensely personal. I go into the personal element much more in the YouTube video. Um, but it's immensely personal besides just witnessing everything in like the, the greater mystery. I can see how it relates to me as an individual and my own inner world and all this sort of stuff. And the main trip uh, really, really hit upon a lot of these sort of elements. Um, and what I mean by that was, was that I've only been to Maine once before in my life. And when I went to Maine, um, I, was, I was 13 years old. So it was that point in my life. And it was, uh, whatever was, whatever was happening, you know, 13 is a, is a, as an age is a, is a major point, you know, it's, it's the beginning of adolescence of, 
really moving from childhood into um, beginning to physically become an adult. Um, and so I was there, and a lot of a lot of the 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 parts of my past. You know, when you return to like if you if you haven't been to the house you lived where you grew up for a long period of time, and then you return to that, like things just bubble up on the surface. And, and undoubtedly a lot of that was occurring for me personally. Like I was aware of that because I hadn't been to Maine and I could just kind of sense like, you know, what was happening inside my inner landscape. And on top of that, to the point, what you were getting at is like the fact that, that the town, which we were staying at was, um, there's a world renowned sculptor who makes sculptures of, of Susquehannock, uh, native Americans. Like that's where he was. And I had this very, um, perfect timing sort of interaction with him. Like that was confirmation to me. I'm like, all right, like, like, the timing is perfect. Like, you know, just observe, observe, observe what's going on. So all that being said, when I did my preparation for, um, that video, which I kept on, which I've made reference to quite a few times, which is on YouTube. Uh, I discovered something. I discovered something really, really unusual. And, I'm not really certain where I want to, where I'm going to settle with what I'm about to tell you. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to lay out, I'm going to lay out the data points right now. So I think I made reference to this when you and I spoke, Mark, but I talked to you about um, how I once had a um, multiple intelligences um, test done uh, when I turned 30. And it indicated that I had um, a uh, like a very very rare high level ability in what's called what they refer to as diagnostic reasoning intelligence, which is the ability through pattern recognition to make accurate con- accurate conclusions with very very limited data. Mm-hmm. I, I, did I share that with you? Yeah, we talked about it uh, the last time we spoke. Okay. And so, and I told you like the guy and the Institute, like I just had like a weird feeling about it. I'm like, I don't think that was real. I don't think that was a real person. I think that it's something else. There's something inside me as an adult. Now, when I look back at that, I'm like, there's more to that story, to that institution. So I started looking, I started looking deeper into um, that organization. That organization was called Rockport, Rockport Institute. And I'm doing Rockport, and I'm I'm doing cross references with intelligence agencies and stuff like that, and I made a pretty big hit. And so, uh, God, I'm not going to be able to say this guy's name correctly. You might need to pull it up on Wikipedia as we speak. Um, probably the easiest way for you to get there. Are you in front of a browser right now? Hmm. Uh, if you type in um, Yuri Geller and pull up his Wikipedia page. Okay. Tell me when he's done. All right. Do you have his Wikipedia page pulled up? Yeah. Uh, and I think in the first paragraph on it, it's going to say that he was 
introduced or discovered by this guy named maybe Andre, and the last name is P-U-H something. Like, that's how it begins. Hmm. You see that name? Yeah. Andrea Puharch. Are you familiar with that name? Yeah, I've heard him talked about before, yeah. So, okay. So that guy, and we're going to get into him a little bit later. In the 1950s in Rockport, Maine, ran something which was known as the Round Table Foundation. And in the Round Table Foundation is they channeled something which is known as the Nine. Right. You ever this heard of is, this is Sinister Forces Peter Lavender writes about this event, right? Yes. 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 A ton about this, yes. Okay. So that that takes place at, at Rockport, Maine. Where I'm going, right? So I see that. I'm like, all right, that's kind of interesting. Can and I, then you go. Can I ask you this first, though? Yes. So you said you went to Maine when you were 13, right? Mm-hmm. Where do you remember where you guys went on vacation in Maine? Certainly, Kenny Bunkport. Oh, okay. I think we talked about this before because I would go to um, uh, Apple, whatever. Is over there. Well, I always forget it. Whenever, whenever you say Kenny Bunk, I immediately forget. It's a, it's always Orchard something. But uh, anyways, okay. So as you were going to Rockport, you realized. No, as I was actually prepar- as I was preparing, I wasn't in Rockport. That's not where I was. Like this was a different coastal town, probably about an hour away from where I was. Like, um. But it's 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 a part of the world. Like going to Maine, like Maine is a different is a different has a very different energy than any other place. Yes, it's and particularly coastal Maine. So these are all kind of coastal towns. I, There's something about that. I remember so, now. Old Orchard Beach was where my family and I would go, and I had family that lived there. My grandparents, uh, my grandmother's brother, lived there, so we would go and visit them and. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful place to go in the summer, in my opinion. So, so yes, yes. Um, uh, I think I'm the only person I've ever heard say, like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> Maine, and maybe it's because of something I'm carrying. Who knows? Um, so, this guy, what, what's his last name? I don't know how to pronounce it. His Jerry? name is Andrea Pugh Harich. Pugh Harich. That's Pugh Harich. Some people pronounce it Pugh Harich, but Pugh Harich is how I've heard it. Okay, so you sound somewhat familiar with him, correct? I also have his Wikipedia page in front of me. Okay. So a couple things which are interesting. Um, so when he hosted the Roundtable Foundation in Rockport, Maine, uh, there's a, um, a very famous um, and well-documented, I read uh, an article and it was, I found references in multiple places, um, occurrence between when he, was the ho- when he was running those groups there and the arrival of Aldo Huxley, Mr. M.K. Ultra. Yes. Okay. Yes. The okay. guy who wrote The Island and all these other books. Uh, Brave New World, all of that sort of stuff. And who is um, thought to be 
And it makes sense to me. I, like, I, I can't say if this is 100% accurate, but um, the evidence I've seen makes me think like it's a, it's a pretty sound conclusion uh, is that, M, that Huxley was the mastermind behind the MK Ultra experiments or like project, project, like the overall project, which was then put, which was op, put into operation by intelligence agencies. It was the brainchild of the um, upper class Huxley. Huxley was a, he wasn't a working class stiff. He was a, he was upper class. Uh, right. The uh, or aristocracy type of and, folks. Exactly. So we know he's there. Um, and we know the nine comes from there. And seemed, and you've also read that, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to say his name. Um, Pure Rich. Um it's also said to be the father of the New Age m- movement, though I've, that title is thrown out to a lot. But nonetheless, he was very influential in creating that sort of um, uh, mind um, mind fuckery of, of the New Age movement. But where he began, and I'm going to suggest probably never left, was he began at Edgewood Arsenal. Right, which we've talked about. So Edgewood Arsenal being where my mother worked as one of the secretaries for the mind control LSD experiments. It was Captain Henry, what's his last name? Puharich? Puharich. I'm going to, for whatever reason. I'll I'll do it as, here's some phonetics. Poo, poo, har, itch. Very easy. Poo, har, itch. Poo, har, itch. There you go. go. Poo, har, itch. It was he who was the impetus for the Edgewood, Edgewood mind control experiments. It's the same guy. Right. It's the same guy that connects to my family. Now, he was in Edgewood at least. On the record, he left in the late, he left mid 50s, which is when the Edgewood mind control experiments began, and then immediately set up camp at the, at Rockport. Well, and created. Don't be offended by this comment, but I'm only saying this because you seem to have some sort of mind block against saying his name. Um, but I'm looking at his photo, and you guys have very similar eyes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Now I'm going to look. I'm going to see what you're saying. So whatever that may be, there is something. There is something there. And I go into this uh, um, in the video. Uh, um, the second video with part two of the video, which I put on YouTube, the first one is for public consumption. The second one is, is behind the paywall. Um, I talk very specifically about my upbringing, um, in Columbia, Maryland and Columbia, Maryland as part of the, um, the, the, the unfolding of what's become smart cities. And specifically, the the influence of what Columbia was as a new town movement 
uh, and it's intermingling with Esalen Institute, uh, LSD, Burning Man use, uh, the blending uh, and technology, which then is where we get all of our smart city tech, um, our smart city stuff. Like that is my childhood. I grew up in the epicenter of all of that. And I have too many touch points. I have too many touch points in my story that I'm aware of um, to at least not have some questions there. So when I go and I see that right after 9-11, I reached out, you know, I reached out to the Rockport Institute, which I'm really wondering what this thing is, um, and see by phonetic matching that it lines up with with Rockport Round, with a, where the Rockport um, Mystical Toponymy Roundtable, the nine um, Captain who I've already lost it. Andrea Piharic, Puharic. Puharich. Like, yeah, there's, there's a, there's, there's, <laughs> there has been, there's been a bit of a, of a, of a wiping of that name from my mind. Yeah. Well, and it's, I'm, I hate to like, I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, like trying to assimilate or something, but I see a lot of parallels between what you're saying with, uh, with, Aberdeen, Aberdeen Proving Ground and Edgewood Arsenal and, you know, your family being like kind of connected in that way. And then um, in the same way, I feel like I've just kind of been beckoned towards Yale University and uh, Skull and Bones, like not that I've ever been a part of it, but I was a part of a frat where one of the initiation rituals was blindfolding us and then standing us in front of the skull and bones tomb as if to scare us. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just funny how life works that way. Like, I wonder if these, you know, organizations like, uh, the same way we talk about duality and how things balance things out. Like you get enough people holding secrets and doing things that potentially violate human rights. Uh, you know, there are people who are drawn to i don't know detective it out or suss it out so to speak to use that sus word uh <laughs> um no pun intended there uh you may be right mark and so i don't want to go to any conclusions i'm not making any statements about like what any of this is but what i am saying is that 33-day journey was as much of a personal unfolding as it was like seeing what would happen through aero circulation. And it spilled over into this main experience, which at least, um, you know, in my, in my history, uh, played a part, um, at a very key point in my life, mm. developmental. Mm. I'm looking at this picture of him, and I'm like, "Is that? I don't. That's what I want to go and compare that to a picture of my face to see if I can see that same similarity. Definitely not him as an older man. I'm I'm talking about the black and white photo of him on um, 
on Wikipedia. But yeah, I uh, see. That but eh, maybe it's just uh, it's just like confirmation bias on my end. But yeah, hey. Uh, no, we never we never see truly what other people see uh, of us. We can only see a mirror image, I guess. Uh, I mean, even the camera is sort of mirrored when we look at it, so or a photograph. Uh, I got a question for you. <laughs> Please. Um, oh, there it is. So. He is credited with writing um, with writing a book called The Sacred Mushroom. Right? Andrea Piharich is? Yes. Okay. And there and was then, a guy named Gordon Wasserman something uh, went to Mexico and he was like a banker who like brought mushrooms weirdly enough to the West or to the attention of the West? Is it? Uh, kinda. Uh, there was a book called the sacred mushroom and the cross written by John Allegro. Mm -hmm. That's where I was going with it. And that guy supposedly deciphered the, um, the, uh, what do you call it? Um, the uh uh the dead sea scrolls oh and that's okay. the nag gordon wasson i think is almost directly connected to um andre who puharich puharich andre puharich it's interesting i didn't i didn't even know that part about puharich but it says the book is called the sacred mushroom and then he has another one called beyond telepathy um, but it, he investigated a Mexican psychic surgeon named uh, Zay Arrigo, um, and apparently Paharic verified this guy as a true psychic, and he was a faith healer who could perform surgeries using a kitchen utensils. Um, that's incredible. What I'm kind of what I gathered by researching Puharic is um, pretty much all of his stuff was just one big psyop. Mm, mm. Like, like, or... Getting ahead, like getting ahead of all that information, like putting a spin on it before people could, like, uh, truthfully suss it out? Is that what you mean? Well, more so like... Like, it was laid out in a way to... Well, primarily for the baby boom generation and that whole sort of like new age, uh, new age hippie movement, right. which started in the sixties, like, which was all part of a, um, at least partially, because I don't think it's as simple by saying good or bad, but it was an intelligence run operation. Right. Like the, the whole thing about Gordon Wasson was Gordon Wasson was the vice president of public relations for JP Morgan. He went down to Mexico. He put out like this article all about these sacred mushrooms, which then was a front page story on time life on Henry loose, um, 
Skull and Bones is Skull and Bones Henry Luce's Life Magazine, which like it was kind of written like danger to entice like you know to as a as a way to entice this this generation of um, teenagers to really want to go and explore. Like I mean that that that's the the manipulation mm. which was. And he was like, that was the whole thing where I'm like, he was, he was like the, at least is credited with, he's credited with being the brainchild of really getting LSD and um, paranormal activity and the military. Um, it began with him. Like, so all this stuff, which you hear about with project Stargate, which I think is a bunch of bullshit too. Like, like there's probably something there's a there there, but it's not the there there that they're telling us. Um, like it's tied in with him and Fort Dietrich and all of this sort of stuff. And there is something else going on that is beneath what is put out for our consumption. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I mean. Like it's 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 like the operation includes within it like people to discover what the operation is. Like it's, it's like, that's your, your limited hangout. Uh, and, and so this is what, if, what makes sense to me, because I, is that, that it's not as simple as good guys, bad guys. And, And you and I have had this conversation many times in, in the, the arc of our, our conversations together is like, you know, that, that it's not as simple as good guys and bad guys. And within maybe the, what we'll call the military industrial complex is also like maybe a solution as much as that is like a control system. The, the, you know, this is just basic permaculture principles. Like the solution is in the problem and you know, whatever was created, which began in the fifties and was introduced and then in the sixties and all of this sort of stuff, um, there's more to it than just derailing um, a, a generation. Right. It's more than just weaponized hedonism. It was, it had this metaphysical occult undertone, this ritual sort of aspect to it. So that when it gets to the head, like where we're seemingly coming closer and closer to it every moment, when I say we, I'm talking collectively, like where the world is right now, uh, like two generations or one generation later, which is what we're experiencing, like built it, baked into that cake is going to be the awareness to like break it down. But then by breaking it down, there is an awareness um, in order to do so. There's an understanding of the nature of reality, which could only which could only be gained because we've gone through that experience. So, I mean, like, so there maybe they're not even like bad guys and good guys, but this is just like what the path to this moment looks like. Like all of the strange things which we're talking about in in um, in the thirty three days, all of the stuff about like uh, the 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 Susquehanna mystery scene, all of these new ways of being able to understand our relationship with reality. So that is like the listeners as they hear what we're talking about, or they're inspired by the scene, 
and they incorporate that in their lives. And it's not just like one or two random people doing it, but a variety of people, each from a unique perspective, from their own experience and their own unique reality, um, poking holes through maybe time-space continuum, like something is really changing or coming down, Mm. which is really what the arrow circulation and Abaris is all about is the purification of the land from all of the diseases. So something new can come. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. And yeah, I think that's a big part of, you know, what we do with this show. I mean, sometimes I know we apologize like, Oh, maybe this is too personal or, but I think that vulnerability is what people come to the show for, to hear these stories that they can relate to and help make sense of their own personal journeys through, you know, uh, cause where else are people talking about synchronicities and how it connects to all this crazy stuff? I mean, and can be able to, Tie it all in. So I got to say one last thing. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Like there, there's something personal, there's something real here, which translates to another person, not just like, not just like voyeurism to listen to us talk, but then to then incorporate that in their own experience. Um, we can't, and we can't wrap up this conversation without me talking about the movie Babylon. Okay. Did you recently watch it? Is it, is that an old movie? Uh, I would say it came out maybe a year ago. Um, uh, I'm watching it and it, it's, it's similarity in very strange ways to Southland tales where it was immensely striking. Um, there's that, but here's the thing, which is so one of the questions I've been sitting with really since this 33 day trip is like, what exactly is Hollywood? Like what is really happening with the movies and the storytelling and, and experiential reality and movies like stranger than fiction and all of this sort of stuff in my own personal experience, like what is really happening? Um, so the movie Babylon, um, I recommend seeing it for, uh, I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. Like, uh, I usually just watch movies because I want to learn something, but I can also enjoy a movie in terms of storytelling. And I enjoyed Babylon. But how Babylon worked, uh, Babylon working, um, was, it, it's kind of telling the story of Hollywood in the 1920s and 30s. And it's, pretty much like a regular film, meaning like, it's not like a, uh, 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 avant-garde art, art piece. Um, it's pretty straightforward storytelling, albeit maybe a little bit, um, long winded, but at the very end of the film, so it ha- you follow this character, you follow this character, and it's just like watching a regular movie. It's like regular life. There's no mysticism in it. There's no there's no magic to it. But the, all of the characters are like the, the setting of the movie is Hollywood. They're like actors, and they're making movies, and they're showing like what Hollywood was like in the 1920s or uh, what have you. So the so the guy comes back. At, this is like a long movie too, like three hours 
and it's towards the end of the film and, and it's 20 years later and this guy who was the main character who rises to a pretty high position in Hollywood and then had to leave Hollywood, he comes back and he walks into a movie theater and it shows him watching a movie in the movie theater and he realizes that the movie that he's watching was the story of his life. Like all of the things which you watched in the movie, like the story of the movie is then being told as a fictional piece and the guy's watching it. Like blurring from the perspective of the movie, assuming the movie is reality, like from the character's perspective, he's then watching somehow, like it's not said to be his story, but somehow his story, someone else made a movie about it. And then it's watching that and the guy's like in the movie theater and he's kind of watching it dumbfounded and he's like crying in the movie. And, it, and the, the setting of the movie then was probably like the 1950s. And then on the screen, so in the movie that you're watching, so you're watching on your, your tablet or what have you, and you're watching a guy sitting in a 1950s movie theater and you can see the screen of the movie he's watching. And then the screen of the movie he's watching changes from this fictitious 1950s movie about his life to then showing a vignette of all of these actual movies of the next 50 years, like quick snippets of like 10 seconds from the movie Tron and from Conan the Barbarian and from Star Wars and all of these other movies of like Hollywood. And it makes absolutely no sense to the style of storytelling that the first three hours were about the first three hours were like just regular storytelling. And then suddenly like it, it turns into this, like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Unless they're telling you like, there's some really, really reality changing, like magic that happens through the art of projecting these films into your synapses, into your, your neural pathways. And, and it somehow is magic on a level like deeper than we could ever appreciate. So, so I want to just kind of like, I don't have an answer to what I think it's about, but I think that's really pointing to something about what Hollywood can potentially do with their storytelling and the nature of our reality. Yeah, I'm reading the um, Wikipedia page a bit, and it seems like a sort of uh, graphic, <laughs> debaucherous, uh, as the name implies, I guess Babylon implies that maybe Sodom and Gomorrah would be another way to put it. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, wow. Yeah, I want to see this movie. It sounds interesting. Yes. And definitely watch it. So, all right. I mean, this is... Oh. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to... Two things. So, you've seen the movie Donnie Darko? Yes. And Donnie Darko bumps up against, like, nature of reality sort of things, right? Like, what, like, precognition and schizophrenia and all sorts of things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Southland Tales was the film made 
After Donnie Darko by the by Donnie Darko writer and director Richard Kelly. So think of them as like kind of linked. Like I'm going to suggest that these films are pointing to something like deeper about about either like they're 100% manipulation to like create something and or they're weak hopas. They're showing you like they're giving clues as to like this is how it works. Southland Tales was almost completely rejected by everyone at the time of its release in 2006 and it's recently becoming more and more accepted as being like a brilliant piece of film work. And I'm going to suggest particularly from my own experience of what happened with me and Southland Tales and, and the 4th of July event and all that sort of stuff, um, that that is that Southland Tales is even deeper, more, more powerful and accurate in terms of like magic crafting and revelation than Donnie Darko. And I say that because there are, there were, um, uh, within Babylon, um, there were two, there were two like very, very small things that I'm going to pull out, which were scenes, which were completely taken directly from, um, directly from, um, Southland Tales. So in Southland Tales, there was like a, a pretty, um, intense, uh, or focused scene on the actresses Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller and Mandy Moore um, having a ballroom dance. Like it was a big fancy event and those two women danced. And the reason why it's focused, it was, was kind of like a little bit out of character with the rest of the film. And something very similar happens in Babylon. There's a ballroom dance between two women. And also in Southland Tales, there is this very mysterious, um, sexy woman from China. And that same archetype is portrayed also in Babylon. And the reason why I'm saying that is Babylon is pointing to that, that scene where I told you where they show you all of these scenes from different movies and how the movies of this guy's life somehow played out in this weird blurring of fiction and reality between his life and, and the screen life. I'm seeing same themes happening with Southland Tales, which I'm talking about. Um, likewise, there was a scene in Babylon, which was a recreation of a very famous scene from the movie Pulp Fiction, which I also think is part of this like hypnosis of reality. And so when you watch these films, like, like keep in mind, keep in mind, um, these connections, we're seeing what, what seems to be to me, proven techniques or archetypes which are showing themselves time and time again, which if, if paid close attention to where they do not just go into the subconscious, they can be deconstructed and, and maybe more insight can happen. And then lastly, I want to recommend a card game. There's a card game which you could buy called The Mind. You go on Amazon and buy it. It's called The Mind. The card manufacturer is called Pandasaurus. And um, 
it's a really, really fun game. I play it everywhere. And it's a great game to, to connect with other people. Um, but what's so strange about this game is it has this weird, uh, rabbit as a, as the symbol of the different lives you have when you play the game, the mind. And it really has no purpose. Like there's no reason that this creepy looking rabbit is the symbol, which they use in the mind. But this rabbit is very similar to the rabbit, which you see in Donnie Darko. And so somehow I think there's a connection there um, between all of those different things. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now on, uh, on Amazon and it's, it says let's become one underneath the floating rabbit who has like this kind of aura of blue and yeah, it's, it's definitely weird looking, but, uh, yeah, this is cool. It's only ten ninety nine on Amazon. I might pick this up at Barnes and Noble. Uh, I'd highly recommend it. Cool. Uh, yes. So I think that's about it. I don't have anything else to say after how long we've we been on the phone right now. Have we had two hours? No. Uh, well, maybe with that first part added on, but yeah, we're about an hour and thirty two minutes into our recording. Oh, exactly. <laughs> this this felt like a really really heavy one for me because I feel exhausted. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean with the heat too, I don't blame you. I think the storm is rolling in towards you. That's going to provide us some relief. But it's been ninety degrees uh, all week, so I don't blame you for being exhausted. Um, I'm sure it was hotter down there, but yeah, yeah, no, I I think that's a good place to wrap up, Mike. I definitely want to have you guys up to new england again uh hopefully you guys can stop in connecticut and check out new haven and all the weird stuff going on here i'd love to get your perspective on it in in the small note there was a synchronicity that occurred for me where i saw on instagram that a native american gentleman was sleeping on the green for a few days and I said, oh, I got to go down there and see if he wants to uh, to join me on the podcast. And uh, I went down and his tent wasn't there. So I got to go back and see. But uh, but yeah, I've been saying I want to do interviews in person. And there it was. All right. <laughs> but anyways... Anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Anything you want the listeners to uh, follow up with you on? Obviously, the YouTube channel. You got some new videos up there, Susquehanna Alchemy on YouTube. Definitely that. Um, and then part two, if you want to see part two to part one, that's behind the paywall. I get into some really good stuff. Um, and if you're interested in that, uh, you send me nine bucks via PayPal. And all that's on the video. On the part one video, it's explained. Right on. Cool. Well, thanks for joining me, Mike. Good to talk to you again. And uh, let's do another episode again sometime soon. And until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in. And immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in this apocalypse. We just added another page to your handbook. Peace. <laughs>